Brittany Hoffman. And I'm Madeline Phipps. Welcome to Shifting Ears, the internal podcast that we're starting here at Valley Metro. Talking about all things transit, transportation, and everything you need to know about the agency, behind the scenes, and some upfront stuff you may not know about. Peter, I am so glad that you are back joining us for episode 26 of Shifting Ears. Want to know why? Why is that? Because we're talking all about drones, the program you helped take flight. Oh, it's a nice little play on words. I see what you did there. I have more in the bag. Don't you worry. So can you tell us how you really got this program off the ground? Okay. Are you going to do that the whole time? We'll find out. (laughs) I'd say it was about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. Nate Chadwick, who used to be a planner here at Valley Metro, he and I were kind of discussing drones and the benefits for agencies. We had saw a presentation from RTD Denver on the drone program that they have. We're just kind of thinking, well, this would be cool if we brought this to Valley Metro. What other uses could we get out of it? And so at the time, I told Nate, well, if you want to get it started, I'll definitely help you with it. And so he kind of got the ball rolling and then he left the agency. And so I had to take the ball and run with it. But that's kind of how I got started in a nutshell. So was it ever up in the air how this program would land here at Valley Metro? Oh, man, that's going to keep going on. You know, when you're talking about drone programs or any kind of technology that's newer, there's definitely going to be some hesitancy to adopt that. So I had to do my homework and really kind of sell the drone program. And we started off as a pilot just saying, "Okay, well, we'll see how it goes. We'll see what we can do. And then in a year, we'll come back and see if we can expand the program. So now that it has landed, where do we see this program going? So after a year, I did a lot of different shots. I would do shots of different projects. I would do inspections on the bridges or on the catenary wire. I was trying to really maximize the use of the drone. In the past, we've used drones to kind of capture construction progress and for marketing and social media and things like that. So I wanted to get a lot of those kind of promo shots. And after a year of that, I compiled enough footage to come back to leadership and say, Here's all the cool things we can do. And there's still more to be done. There's still more ideas to come out. And they greenlit the pilot into an official program at Valley Metro. But it's too much for one person to handle. It's especially as we grow it. So the thing about drone is when you think about drone, you think about technology. And who manages all the technology here at Valley Metro? The nerds. Oh, yes, I meant IT. And so it just made most sense to have the program be under IT's umbrella. Thanks, Peter, for launching this program, because I know it's going to help me and other departments across the agency. Now we're going to hand the controls over to someone in IT who can take this program to new heights. Hi, my name is Phil Oslin. I go by Oz. I'm the Chief Information Officer here at Valley Metro, overseeing the Information Technology Department. Joined Valley Metro in December 2017, so this year I'll be coming up on the four-year anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. What was the Valley Metro IT department like when you first got here? So it was actually like taking a step back into the past. When I first got here, the department was uh, just a basic help desk with some higher level operational support. They'd had a talented consultant by the name of Marine who had been here three or four years prior who had started the modernization process. And then my immediate predecessor, Bill Trey, had been working on a roadmap. Coming on board, I was able to take the framework that they had already laid for me and update it. And at this point, we have almost tripled in size and are now a full-service IT department. Uh, The help desk has matured into a service desk. The few 
people who are providing operations support is now an operations team that has matured to the point that before too long, we'll be splitting it into an infrastructure and an application support team. We've got developers that handle website, mobile, and internal application development, an information security group to keep us safe, an IT project management office, and a business intelligence group to help us with reporting and analytics. One of the things I learned pretty early on in my career was that IT departments that can only provide end-user trouble ticket support and focus on keeping the uh, Christmas tree lights lit on those racks of devices are pretty replaceable. That's the type of situation that almost always ends up in outsourcing. So what I wanted to make sure is that our IT department really integrated with the business, that we understand the mission and the objectives of the agency, and that we do our best effort to support those not only through technology, but through um, process improvements as well. And then focusing on bringing in various industry best practices in IT service management to focus on the tools that we're providing the user base to help connect communities and enhance lives. So as you said, you had a roadmap to kind of the modernization plan that Valley Metro kind of laid forth, but how did the pandemic impact that plan? Interestingly, it stretched it in some places and compressed it in others. So a lot of things that we had been looking to do that did not necessarily have a great deal of user support, so it was things uh, that we were looking to do in the future, suddenly became a priority. And, uh, you know, some of the tools like the instant messaging, the ability to access your phones from anywhere, that type of thing are in, you know, a year, two or three ahead of schedule. And other things that we were expecting to do more quickly, we're now just getting into as the pandemic starts to um, ramp down, hopefully for the final time. So you said that there are some things that you're just now kicking back up. Can you give us an idea of what some of those projects are? Sure. There are a variety of projects around supporting on-site endeavors that are just starting to pick back up getting a point of sales for our paratransit and accessible transit customers, moving some of the systems that the vendors use to handle in-house, and some of the expansion that we're working on in uh, CitySense as that construction is now just starting to pick back up again. Those are a few items. Those are a couple of items. And one of the other big items you guys have coming on board is the drone program. Indeed. That is something that was actually just starting before the pandemic kicked up into high gear. And fortunately, it hasn't been impacted. You know, what we wanted to do with that is we were really looking at providing the agency with a cost-effective method of being able to obtain footage and perform visual inspections In those places and situations that are difficult or dangerous to get a human being and eyeball mark one on, various inspections of our operations, our vehicles, our infrastructure, facilities, our public artworks, security operations, getting footage for marketing opportunities. There are a lot of places that the drone program can help where previously we would have had to to lay out some pretty large funds to be able to hire uh, a helicopter service or pay a different firm to provide those drone services. 
when Nate and I were first talking about, you know, developing a drone program for the agency, it was kind of like two dogs chasing after a car. You know, we're just barking at it. We didn't know what would happen if we actually got a hold of it. And then we got the drone program and then we had to develop it. And I didn't really know what was going to be the next step. I didn't, honestly, I didn't even really think about the potential for IT's role. When I reached out to your team, you know, to Matus and to Will, they were extremely helpful. They had a lot of experience with drones before. So they were extremely helpful in just kind of guiding me through the process of not just like literally taking off, but, you know, what to expect. It just kind of seemed to work really well to have IT eventually take the program over. It made more sense the more we went through it, just because once we got the drone and went through the procurement process and we're seeing all the cool footage and all that stuff, it's not something that I can sustain by myself. And it only made sense for IT to kind of grab hold of that. You guys are already very well experienced with dealing with expensive technology and distributing it amongst the agency. So it kind of just seemed to work really well. Plus, you, you have some people on staff who are very familiar with drones. Indeed. At the end of the day, it's a hardware platform driven by software. So we're very familiar with working with vendors to maintain the hardware, with making sure that the software gets regularly updated. Of course, there are, uh, you know, it's IT. It's a lot of technology geeks. We have multiple members, including myself, that operate drones as a hobby and a few people that have even done it as a uh, money-making venture. Matus, of course, comes from previously from a construction firm and had experience operating drone in a business context, very similar to how we do them here. Will has done footage for music videos and advertisements in an amateur role. And we actually had someone who left the department shortly before you came to us asking about the drone program, who went and started his own business providing drone services to other companies. Now, as we, we go to expand it, um, you know, IT may not be able to provide all of the pilots required to sustain it. So we're certainly interested in any individuals who are interested in potentially serving as drone operators or safety spotters and that they have their supervisor support reaching out to Amadis and, and perhaps yourself as well but we will certainly provide that core for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and we definitely have some interested people. Uh, I've already talked to a few people. You know, it's not just talking to the individuals. They have to route it up their training command and make sure they have the, the bandwidth to handle it. But I think if we can have a stable of pilots, we can really grow the program to be something pretty extraordinary. I think we've seen the limited uses that we can do with it. You get cool shots for promotional videos or for social media. There's some inspection uses like on the operation side or for the public art side. But I think there are things that I know personally I haven't even thought of. Maybe nobody's thought of yet that we could be using the drone for. I think the cool thing about getting more pilots, especially from different departments, is that there are these ideas that we haven't thought of yet that we could definitely exploit with the drone and really move not only the program, but the agency forward. I think we're one of the few agencies in the country who have a drone, a legitimate drone program and have really just hit the tip of the iceberg on what we can uh, do with them. Absolutely. And as it comes down to a lot of things, it's a matter of perspective. IT, we're used to solving problems with technology. And so that's how we tend to approach things. 
but you get a lot of novel solutions when you get people whose day to day is is not in that particular function and they just see things in a different way think about things in a different way and it can lead to a lot of novel solutions that's why one of the things you know it's not just soliciting potential pilots and safety spotters you know operators from other departments but talking to them about uh, just in general what ideas they have you know what uses do they see for drones in their particular areas that as you said you know maybe nobody is doing yet or if someone is doing them it hasn't really hit the mainstream or become a, a publicly published knowledge or a best practice let's circle back for one second if someone was interested in being a pilot or a spotter what would go into that? Because obviously I can't just go up to Oz and say, hey, I want a drone. Let me go out here and fly it around. I'm actually going to have to lean on Peter a little bit for that one because I am not uh, as steeped in the administrative details of what it takes to make a pilot as he and Matus are. I do know that there is about a $110 uh, certification fee that's required. But beyond that, I'll let Peter speak to it. Having a drone does not a pilot one make. Oz really hit it on the head. The certification is the first step. So you have to get certified. It's a FAA Part 107 remote operator license or certification. It takes between 15 to 30 hours of studying. That's just based on my experience to get certified. And the certification itself really is more about learning altitude uh, limitations, how to read clouds. And it has a lot to do with aviation, like for a small plane, actually. It's not super specific to drones. Really what you're learning for the certification is when and where you can and cannot fly and what times you can't fly and being able to recognize different kinds of safety things. As far as the agency goes, we are limiting the amount of pilots. We're not just going to let anybody become a pilot. So for the standard operating procedure that I've been developing, we're limiting that scope to really just operations, the planning, the planners, so capital development and service development, IT, obviously, and safety and security and marketing. So those are going to be the divisions that really kind of use the drone. Uh, they're going to have a certain level of responsibility and roles in, with what we do as an agency with the footage and things like that. But anybody can request to have a shot done for what, I mean, even if it's finance, if they have a cool idea and they think it's beneficial to the agency, they can make a request to have the drone do a shot and they can come out with us and say, I would like this shot and this shot and this shot, and this is how I want it to look. But as far as pilots go, we are limiting to no more than 10 pilots, and you do have to route professional development requests up the chain of command. So it's amusing that you mentioned that because finance, if I recall correctly, actually already has used the drone in one capacity when they were going out during the pandemic for bid for a maintenance cleaning service. We provided various videos outlining facilities to the uh, bidders because obviously it wasn't really safe for them to come on site and, and receive a tour. So as you mentioned before, all departments were open to any ideas that are out there and not just maybe what comes to top of mind. Like Peter said, I immediately think we got one cool drone shot from a firm that we had to go out and get the drone for. They got a picture of the Roosevelt Wall and the Arts Line train at the same time. Super cool shot that we can put on social. But obviously those aren't all the things that we can do with the drone. So we're looking for anything and everything? 
Pretty much. You know, from my perspective, like any technology, it's there to make things better. So where we can use the drone to do something more efficiently with less cost or especially with more safety. You know, we mentioned those high voltage catenary wires and having to do inspections around them. Or there have been a few cases where we've gotten footage of the vehicles in operation from overhead. I mean, those are things that the drone presents a sort of either almost or completely unique way of getting that without putting anybody in harm's way. All right. So we talked about the drone program. What other big projects are on deck, Oz, for IT? So we've got a variety of projects that are on deck. Of course, you know, they're the the major ones that the users see the impact of. And then it's like an iceberg. For every one project that you're aware of, there are probably nine behind the scenes that are completely technical and nobody wants to hear the details of. Talking about some of the things that are in the spotlight, of course, we have Project Core, which is a combination of implementing an enterprise resource planning system which is a computer system that underlies the paperwork for what finance, procurement, budget, payroll, and human resources do all day, and our enterprise asset management system that will help our operations and maintenance group. We're also working on a regional fare collection system improvement that's going to introduce a number of new capabilities like the ability to purchase fares online and through your mobile phone. And then, of course, I mentioned before, for each one of those, there's uh, at least a half a dozen other internal projects that would probably be about as interesting to hear about as watching paint dry. But at the end of the day, they're there to make sure that our systems are secure, that they're reliable, and that the end user experience is the best possible. Us, you guys have a lot of things coming up. This is exciting to hear all the things coming for the agency for employees and for the riders. Indeed, it has been interesting. In most places, the CIO is responsible mainly for the technology that's used inside the business. But here, that role includes not only the inside the business technology, but the customer facing technology as well, which would normally be the purview of a chief technology officer. It's actually My predecessor was a CTO rather than a CIO. So one of the things that I've always enjoyed about Valley Metro is that you get to touch the full breadth of everything. You don't find uh, very often find yourself pigeonholed into a particular aspect of your discipline, whether that be IT or engineering or communications. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Arizona? I am not originally from Arizona. I was actually born and raised on a 140-acre family farm in rural southern Virginia. I was the only child. My mom was a primary school music teacher, and my father was a Virginia Commonwealth magistrate. It always sounds interesting growing up on a farm, but at the time, it was mostly a subsistence farm. The family used to turn a little profit from it back when tobacco was a cash crop. But by the time I was coming along, we had 50 head of beef cattle and a large amount of vegetable garden that just kind of supplemented the grocery store with some you know, fresh food and helped cover the property taxes. And my dad squirreled a little bit away for a college fund. Not really surprising that I wound up working for Valley Metro after uh, a decade in the private sector. My family's had a long history of public service. 
My father was the longest serving magistrate in the state and sitting 45 years this year, I believe. Both he and my grandfather were Commonwealth magistrates. And then before they implemented the magistrate system back in the mid-70s, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and my great-great-grandfather were all justices of the peace. And my uncle was an engineer and a manager with the Virginia Department of Transportation. So public service and transit runs in the blood a little bit. So you were just a little boy sitting on the ground of the farmhouse playing with a, a phone and, and some circuit boards. And they're like, that boy's going to be in an IT. I could see it all over him. Oh, I don't think it was ever quite that much. I actually didn't get a real computer until I was in uh, high school. I think the first thing I got was uh, an original Nintendo Entertainment System, and that was four or five years after it first came out, almost the 90s. After I got that computer, you know, every kid loves playing video games. And I happened to go to uh, an electronics store in a mall in one of the suburbs of Richmond, and I saw SimCity 2000. And I told myself, man, that looks like fun. So I picked it up, I took it home, I fired it up, and I got an error message. And so I did what everybody does. I went looking for IT. But of course, it's a rural county. You go around talking to everybody who's the, quote, computer guy, unquote, and they can't really help you because it's, you know, accountants and uh, administrators who just happen to use a computer at work for their paperwork. So after uh, a disappointing round trip of the county trying to find someone to help, I wound up holed up at home for a weekend with the manual for uh, the DOS operating system. And over the course of those days, figured out how to tweak it so it would run the game. And that is kind of what started my love affair with IT. I headed to Virginia Tech when I turned 18, joining their College of Engineering and pulling down a degree in computer engineering, which was still so new at that time. And so I graduated in 2007 and then headed out to Arizona. Amusingly enough, I remember landing my first job in Arizona and real job after college because I took the phone call while I was crossing the Interstate 40 Bridge over Douglas Lake in Tennessee on my way out to Arizona by car. You didn't have a job? You just picked up and said, I'm going to go? Yeah, I had about five grand saved up. I said, I'm sure I'm going to be able to find something. Never mind that we were just going into the crash of 2008. And I resigned from my job at the campus directory and drove out here with nothing but a pocket full of money and some dreams. Wound up working for uh, level two technical support for AT&T in a call center as my first job. And look at you now. Indeed. Wow. I would I, th- I would have thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna say you were uh, you saved up enough money to get to Silicon Valley and then you got stuck in Arizona halfway and you said okay well this is good. No, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. I, I did my uh, homework. I looked at it. And at the time, the big five circles for uh, information technology were Washington, D.C., Seattle, Washington, Silicon Valley, California, Houston, Texas, and Phoenix, Arizona. Well, I refused to live in California or Texas. I'd spent enough time in Virginia and wanted to see something different. And so I was down to Washington or Phoenix, Arizona. I actually had uh, a couple of friends, one who had gotten a job as a high-level networking engineer working for Valor Global, which is based here in Phoenix, Arizona, 
And they had been asking around looking for a roommate. I'd originally turned them down because they were already going to be headed out here after I was graduating. But unfortunately, my graduating year was also when the Virginia Tech massacre occurred. So I actually took the offer to take my grades as they stood and graduate early, wound up leaving a few months early and took them up on the opportunity to uh, have some roommates to defer costs. And that's actually what decided my move out to Phoenix. Phoenix has really become kind of a a well-known tech hub. It's a pretty big one. And Phoenix is especially uh, sort of attractive in the data center world because of our stability and uh, sort of lack of natural disasters. You don't have to worry about hurricanes. You don't have to worry about wildfires. It takes a lot of the stress out of uh, figuring out where you're going to plop something down that has to be available 24-7, 365. Just got to have a good AC system. That's true. <laughs> you got started this way with you know video games. Is that still your thing? Still a big video gamer? I am still a power nerd. I uh, do quite a number of video games. I think my Steam library is somewhere around 360 games at this point over the last 15 years. Of course, you can't get by on video games alone. You've got to get out and get a little sunshine every once in a while. Phoenix is a little warm and my personal time limited for the hiking that I used to enjoy when I was going to tech up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. But I do love the food scene. I spent a fair amount of time playing uh, board, card, and dice games with my friends. You could, at least before the pandemic, find me fairly often at Game Depot in Tempe, picking up the latest new game to add a little novelty to game nights. And I spend a fair amount of vacation time up around Flagstaff. I'm a big fan of the Lowell Observatory. Enjoyed visiting the Meter Crater and Boot Hill. And every once in a while, I'll drop in by Jerome, which can be a fun time. Oz, is there anything else you want to add to say? The one thing I would say is we understand that our core purpose is to make sure that you guys can do the best possible job at connecting communities and enhancing lives. We're here to make your jobs easier where possible. You know, we're never doing anything just for the fun of it. So we're here to help you. Always keep that in mind. Peter, I am so excited for this program because I also got a sneak peek when we got to go out to Metro Center to take video of the tub girders going up. What is a tub girder? Well, Peter, I'm glad you asked. A tub girder is a giant piece of cement that goes between two poles so that it looks like a bridge is there. And it actually starts the formation of the track. So we got to see the tail track being put in to Northwest Phase 2. Super exciting. But what makes it a tub? It's because it dips. So like when you think of like a bathtub, yeah, like a U-shape. So when you think of like a bathtub... I mean, obviously, you're not going to take a bath in there, but that's what it looks like. But we got Uh, to see it from a whole different perspective because on the ground, that thing just looks massive and you can't see the tub part. But when you have the drone, it was so cool watching it go around. Yeah, I agree. I think going out and getting the bird's eye view really made a different perception of what's happening out there, especially getting a new perspective on all the work all the people are doing out there and kind of highlighting just how good a job they're doing, how safe they're being, and uh, and kind of how dangerous that job is. You know, when we were out there, and I don't know if you want to tell people, I saw you jump like 25 feet in the air when there was some loud noises going on. There was. I get spooked pretty easy, 
But like you said, they're being safe and that's what matters. But when you go out with the drone, you have to have two people, right? Correct. Yeah, you need to have two people. I'm actually currently writing the standard operating procedure and in the procedure, I'm writing it to be for two people. And that's really just so you have someone who's watching the screen so they can see what the shot looks like. And the other person watches the drone to make sure that it doesn't run into anything. And the drone's pretty perceptive on its own. It's got a lot of technology built into it that helps you avoid, you know, running into buildings or trees or wires or things like that. But just having another set of eyes really helps to make sure that you're flying the safest and being the safest you can be. Yeah. And it was kind of alarming to me. I didn't realize like how high the drone could go. I mean, obviously can go way high in the air, but we don't want to fly that high because there's helicopters and other things. But manning that drone while a bird flies by. Peter, I watched the video of the bird flying by and it was shocking. Yeah. If you go on YouTube, there's plenty of videos of people getting their drones actually taken out by larger birds who are pretty territorial of their homes. When the drone gets too close to their nest, Mama bird doesn't mess around, so you got to be careful. Like I said, super excited for this program, and all the departments can get involved. So how do they do that, Peter? So anybody can make a request to have a drone flight. If you come up with an idea and you think it could help the department or help the agency, just reach out to an IT person, or you can reach out to me, and we will put it on the dock, and we'll get some... As we're getting more pilots certified, we'll have a, a larger stable and be able to get... Um, more shots. Right now, it's just me, but I definitely am working with whoever wants to work with me to get out there and just really utilize the drone program as we start to expand it. But it's open for anybody to use not to fly. That's right, Peter, because you're not just going to hand that controller to anybody, especially me. So like Peter said, if you have drone ideas, contact him. But if you have ideas for the podcast and things you want to hear, email us at podcast at valleymetro.org. For Valley Metro, I'm Peter. I'm Brittany. Thanks for riding with us. We'll meet you at the next stop.